You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Welcome to the briefing room here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Well, as you know, on this uh, this portion of the show, we talk about the uh, headlines that are in the news and the stories about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. Well, you're going to hear a little bit more about this from my guest in the interview room next week. But uh, I had to talk about it now because it's driving me crazy. And that is the Minneapolis City Council approving a settlement of $795,000 to the family of a suspect who shot two police officers. This is mind-boggling. This this suspect um, has a crime spree. Uh, Police officers find him hiding in a house that he just broke into. Uh, The suspect attacks the police. He is struggling with one of the officers uh, over the the officer's gun. The officer's gun, um, the suspect gets his finger into the trigger housing and opens fire on the police, shooting two of them. The third officer shot and killed him. So, while this shooting is taking place, one of the officers kills the suspect. And the, the Minneapolis city government decides, hmm, well, even though the, the officers were cleared of anything, because you couldn't get a more justifiable shooting, even though these two officers that he shot uh, suffered life-threatening injuries, they decided to give the family of this punk close to $800,000. It is mind-boggling. This is exactly what sends a signal to every dirtbag that that uh, that uh, gets into confrontation confrontation with police. That who knows? Maybe there'll be a payday at the end of the day. If not for me, well, maybe my family will get paid. So um, the uh, spineless Minneapolis city government um, uh, decided that they were going to give. This guy, uh, 800, almost 800 Gs for trying to kill two cops. Boy, that sounds a great signal, doesn't it? What a great message. And, and of course, Minneapolis, who is so anti-law enforcement, uh, the city government, the, uh, this is just one more, one more piece of evidence that they couldn't care less about their cops. Disgusting. Now, while we're talking about injustice, this, uh, this case out of uh, Erie County in New York, outside of Buffalo, man acquitted for dragging two officers with his car because he said he was scared. This is another one of those mind-boggling court decisions. A parolee accused of dragging two police officers with a vehicle as he was fleeing a traffic stop was acquitted of the assault charges after his attorney convinced a judge that he was in fear of losing his life when he stomped on the accelerator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so defense attorney Scott Reardon told the court that his client, 25-year-old, excuse me, 28-year-old convicted felon Marcus Pruitt, quote, thought he was going to die that night. My client was just terrified, unquote. The, um, the, the judge, Susan Egan, who's got to be, you know, uh, one, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit short in the brains department, agreed that Pruitt was under duress during the traffic stop, and she ultimately acquitted 
him of assaulting the officers, both of whom had to be transported to the hospital due to the injuries they suffered during the attack. I mean, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. Court decisions that, that keep on coming out. Now, this wasn't even a jury. This was a judge who ought to know better. You know, sometimes juries, they can get swayed by the emotion of the, of the moment. Um, but judges generally are smart enough to see the realities. So whether, whether this, this judge just is, uh, is anti-law enforcement or whether, you know, she's, she's, you know, got a screw loose, I don't know. But what I do know is that she's a dumbass and she made, uh, she made a, a, a decision that is, that is um, just one more example of why cops are scared to death to do their jobs because they get they get uh, they get treated like this uh, just like uh, just like the Minneapolis case that we just talked about well you know there's a lot of issues in law enforcement clearly there's there's never any shortage of topics but you know one of the things that that uh, that I am, am so um, passionate about is training you you have to train your officers so that they are equipped with the with the tools necessary to do the job as safely as possible and and you know every state is different um every state has different requirements from for everything from basic training to the uh, to advanced training well here's a headline for you Critical Ohio law enforcement annual training consistently underfunded and not reimbursed. The state has consistently failed to provide adequate, steady funding to reimburse local departments for training. So, for years, law enforcement officials and Ohio policymakers have argued that annual training for police, sheriffs, and state troopers is critical. It keeps officers and residents safe, shields cities and counties from litigation and raises statewide standards of professionalism. And calls for such training have increased in Ohio and nationally, mostly in response to high-profile incidents involving police use of force, right? Well, despite that, Ohio has failed to provide the funding to train the officers. You know, in the in this nation, um, there's, there's uh, 18,000 different police agencies, and 80% of them have less than 20 officers. Well, when you have that amount of, of cops, your training budget is, is really minimal. And so these communities, uh, they look to their states for the funding for the required training. So, for instance, in, in uh, Ohio now, mandated there's 24 hours which i can tell you this 24 hours in a year to include your firearms training your use of force training your um, criminal law training etc etc um 24 hours isn't a whole lot of time but ohio is not even paying for that see here's what the politicians do there have been some very high profile incidents in ohio where there was deadly force utilized and it came back 
in a really bad way to bite the officers because, and in very often, because the training that they got was um, was substandard or no training at all. Well, what? Who gets? Who pays the penalty for that? Well, the cities pay the penalty in wrongful death suits, but the cops pay the penalty because they're the ones ultimately holding the leaky bag. Some go to prison. Some get fired. Some get sued and, and lose everything. So the state of Ohio is making mandated training. You have to train 24 hours. But, uh, well, we say that, but then we're not going to fund it. This is how politicians get this is what they do. They 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 simply um, look for the headline. Hey, yeah, we uh, we are making mandatory training happen, uh, but then they don't pay for it, and so it doesn't get done. It's nonsense. It, it it what it does is it undermines law enforcement. It undermines the the public's um, confidence in law enforcement, and it uh, it throws the cops to the wolves because that's ultimately. It's the person who pulled the trigger or did the, the major use of force that's going to pay the ultimate price. And when you get when you when you see a headline like this, and believe me, Ohio isn't the only one. Uh, there's a lot of, of states that that say, you know what, you have to do this much training, but then they don't do it, so they won't pay for it. And um, the, and this this is a uh, this is a, unfortunately a much more common issue than certainly it should be, but it really is. Um, you know, let's see, what else is going on here today? Um, well, of course, New York, of course. NYPD says 143 people committed 230 crimes in January after being sprung from jail with no bail. Yeah, so we are seeing that that uh, good old Andrew Cuomo and uh, and his minions, with their brilliant no bail um, no bail policies laws that are now releasing basically every criminal except those charged with murder, um, and 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 a couple other type of really violent crimes, uh, they're just releasing them. We're getting a ticket, so gee. Who wouldn't think that this might be the outcome? So they've already now this just this just took place January first, right? We're we're six six weeks into this debacle, and just in um, just in that time period alone, uh, there's a seventeen percent increase in crime. Gee, who would have thought? Well. Um, there's a there's an outcry now from the from from law enforcement and from um, you know you're seeing it even in the newspapers they're screaming repeal this but Cuomo and the state legislators are denying they're sticking their head in the sand they're pretending that everything is working just fine even De Blasio even De Blasio is is having to admit that, uh, well, you know, maybe this didn't work the way we wanted it to. Uh, uh, we need to rethink this a little bit. And uh, uh, the unfortunate problem with that is that he doesn't wield the power to do that. Only 
the governor and the state legislators do. So uh, unless they um, you know unbury their head from the sand, and but they'll never do it. They won't do it because that means they would have to acknowledge that they were wrong in their in their quest for quote social justice unquote. They have made the city a far more dangerous place. You know the. Uh, the murder, there was a rape and murder of a 92-year-old woman in New York. 92, rape and murder. And it was committed by an illegal alien who should have been deported. But because of New York sanctuary laws, he was shielded from the immigration authorities. So you would think that that would cause um, enough, enough outcry that they might actually look at repealing laws that are protecting criminals. But it doesn't seem to be happening. I don't understand it. Uh, it it's, it's as if, it's as if the, the, the public just sits around and accepts these elitist politicians commanding from on high policies that endanger the communities and, and nobody holds them accountable. So, uh, you know what's going to happen. I, I mean, I can I guarantee it's already happening, is that there are going to be more and more acts of, of incredible violence that take place that are going to eventually shock the community out of its complacency. And, and uh, that is going to, um, I think, be the final straw. But... How how many more rapes and murders do there have to be? Uh, how many more how many more parents need to lose their children? How many more children need to lose their parents? All in the name of this failed experiment of social justice. I I, I find it unconscionable, and um, the the issue that um, no one's holding the, the politicians accountable for their for their um, really uncaring attitude about the people they are sworn to protect um, just reveals that that uh, there's this selfish political agenda that transcends um, you know what uh, what the responsibilities are of these elected politicians it's disgusting there's going to be more violence we're going to see more and more um, more and more bloodshed and uh, eventually, eventually, I think that this will turn on them. You know, we're uh, running out of time here, so uh, we got to get into the into the uh, interview room because I got a great guest waiting for us. If you love coffee as much as I love coffee, in fact, even if you don't love it as much as I do, but you like it, Law Dog Coffee Company is the newest and the greatest coffee company to come along in a long time. Now, all right, I admit I'm a little prejudiced because Law Dog Coffee is a major sponsor of the Wounded Blue. They actually donate 15% of their revenue to the Wounded Blue. And they are uh, a partner of, of the Wounded Blue in a lot of different ways. So, this coffee company is, um, is law enforcement uh, based. It supports law enforcement, but most importantly, the coffee is amazing. 
I I love it. I mean, it's uh, it's rich. It's uh, uh, organically grown. It's ethically grown in uh, in Costa Rica. It is uh, um, roasted by a family roasting company. It's been in business for ninety years. Uh, it's rich. It is delicious, and it gets delivered directly to your door. It's uh, subscription based. You can have one pound, two pound, twenty pounds, however much you want, delivered right to your door, and uh, and get a taste of this amazing coffee. So go to LawDogCoffee.com. It was one word, LawDogCoffee.com. And and also, by the way, they get some amazing gear, uh, t-shirts and mugs and hats and all kinds of stuff. Uh, really cool designs. So check it out, LawDogCoffee.com. Tastes so good. It ought to be illegal. I'm going to talk to you about a product that I never, ever would have thought I'd be talking about on this show. It's um, it's a CBD product. And I have always been afraid of CBD, quite honestly. Um, although I, I keep on hearing from a lot of people that I know, uh, including a lot of injured officers, that they have been using different... CBD products, and they love them. I mean, I, I keep on getting recommendations to try it, uh, but I've always been afraid to try it. Uh, one of the reasons being because uh, I don't know what's in it, and I don't know, you know, if there's a THC content. THC, of course, being you know part of the marijuana um, plant, and uh, the you know part that gets you high. So I've always stayed away from it. Well, my opinion has changed. It's, uh, I, was, I was contacted by a retired uh, NYPD police sergeant who was in the cannabis business, and uh, not the cannabis business, excuse me, the CBD business. And, um, and he's also a veteran, and he and I have the same kind of viewpoints uh, about law enforcement and about, um, you know, the, the current event stuff. And he told me a lot. He educated me and, um, and then provided me with some different products. And I got to tell you, I was a little hesitant. Um, he in, he informed me that the, the, the difference, because you can get CBD anywhere, literally. You can go to the 7-Eleven and get it. But he told me that the difference is in who manufactures it and what's in it and how, you know, how do you know what's in it and the fact that there is no THC in this particular product. Um, he did his research. He found that this product was the best on the market. It's called Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E, and it's at luxviteCBD.com. Um, I've been using some of these products now, and i got to tell you, um, I'm, I'm sorry I waited personally, uh, but one of the things that's really cool about it is if you go to the website, you can actually look and get reports on what is in this. This is something that, that no other... Uh, no other CBD providers do. So anyway, uh, check out LuxviteCBD.com. That's Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E-C-B-D.com. And uh, check it out for yourself. And also, one of the cool things is that um, this company, is uh, uh, this, this sergeant's company, is uh, going to support the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. So... Check it out, LuxviteCBD.com. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health. 
Sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio. On our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Here with me today in the interview room of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on the America Out Loud Network, is my friend and uh, law enforcement compadre, Joe Towers. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Joe, and then we'll talk about um, his his organization, Hero Hunt, Inc., uh, which is an amazing organization. So Joe is a full-time lieutenant uh, with the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department, been a law enforcement officer for the last 27 years. Uh, 24 of those at his present agency, and he's worked patrol, bicycle, patrol, narcotics, SWAT team. Uh, he's been around, and uh, he's got bachelor's degree. He's, he's got a whole bunch of stuff going on behind his name. And uh, Hero Hunt Inc. Uh, organizes exciting and therapeutic game hunts for disabled veterans and first responders from across the country throughout the year. Based outside of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, they're centrally located in some of the best hunting grounds in the Southeast, but more than the hunt, they offer healing, understanding, and camaraderie to those who have served our country and our citizenry. Joe, welcome to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Thank you for having me, Randy. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Oh, it's, it's great to have you. It's great to have you. Let, let's talk about your police career first. Um, okay. Let's talk about, uh, you know, you've been a cop for, for oh, pretty close to three decades. And let's talk about, you know, your career. And then we'll get into uh, into the organization. Okay. Uh, well, I was actually an uh, active duty Coast Guard for four years. Uh, was assigned to initially a ship doing search and rescue law enforcement stuff, and then got assigned to a search and rescue center. And uh, back in the old days, it was a radioman. Um, I'm not sure what they call it now. It's changed several times. And then I started with a uh, sheriff's department just south of Nashville in 94. I uh, was in patrol down there, 94, 5, and 6 for Williamson County Sheriff's Department, Tennessee, and then came to Metro Nashville in November of 96. Um, well, lots changed in that time. <laughs> That's the truth. Not, not all of <laughs> them for the better, I might add. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of changes. So, so. You, you, so you got, you've got a ton of, ton of law enforcement experience. What was it about your law enforcement experience that um, – 
that gave you the impetus and, and the, uh, the desire to create an organization like Hero Hunt Inc.? Well, I think, you know, looking around um, at my own life, uh, like I said, I've been, I'm a veteran. Um, I never did anything combat related or deployed overseas or anything, but uh, being a veteran, have a lot of friends who have, and then um, the, the years in law enforcement, uh, I'm a third generation police officer. Um, my great, great, my great grandfather was a police officer during the depression and actually was a cabinet maker. There wasn't a lot of jobs for him. So he decided to be a police officer, retired from Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, and then my dad picked it up from running around with his grandfather and then I fell into it. And then, uh, my brother, uh, my wife was a police officer, got injured in the line of duty and had to leave the department in 2011 for our agency and, uh, uh, my sister-in-law. So I didn't want to just do something just for veterans because I see a lot of stuff that happens, um, you know, in the law enforcement community and when one of our officers or one of your comrades gets hurt in the line of duty, you know, the intention is good to keep them plugged into something and keep that camaraderie going and keep that friendship going. Uh, but, you know, life happens and people get busy and people get left behind. I saw that happen in my own home and, and um, we decided to start this uh, and we didn't want to leave out, you know, obviously our first responders, our, our police and firefighters as well. Uh, there's a lot of organizations working with military and we do a lot of stuff for the military guys as well. But um, I think all of those, all of those facets of my life uh, and, and we come from a long line of veterans too, from both my grandfathers from world war two before that and in present day as well. So, you know, uh, you can't, in my mind, you can't just serve one uh, or the other. I think it was good to start and do all three uh, police fire and first responders and uh, or military and first responders and, you know, those are just as important. I'm sure you've seen, and this has been on the rise since we started, since after we started, I've started seeing a lot more about the officer suicide rates and so forth. And, and I can see that, you know, that's a need, that's a niche. Um, when you get hurt and you go home, everything kind of falls away. Your, your normal's not your normal anymore. And I don't care if it's the military or as a first responder, your normal's not your normal. Let's talk about hero hunt. I'm um, you and I, uh, you and I got together and while well, you were in Las Vegas and uh, we talked about, uh, about this organization and, and the amazing work that it does. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of, it's in a unique niche. So let's talk about, um, about how do you, how did you come up with the idea for hero hunt? First of all, well, we, uh, we bought a farm, uh, in 2012 when the economy wasn't doing great. And, um, had the opportunity to buy about 50 acres just outside of Nashville and was really looking at just having a place to go do my own thing and not have to worry about leases and traveling to go hunt. And, um, was really happy to have that. But then, you know, on father's day, of, I apologize, Randy, um, on father's day of 2012, uh, I decided to go do a little bush hog and try to get used to the farm a little bit. And, uh, and had, had thought about doing something similar this years before, and it just didn't pan out. And then I found myself with this small piece of land that's it's really um, a lot of really good hunting in this area. And uh, I came home from, from working out on the farm and uh, sat down at the dinner table and, and told my wife, I think this is the opportunity to start the program. And, and she never missed a beat. She said, let's do it. So we started in, uh, in November of 2012. And then uh, that was kind of the impetus to get everything going the right direction. And then it's just grown. Um, we, we actually sat down and did the numbers before we were at SHOT Show and I sat down with a, a president of operations and we've grown 150% the year before last, last year and almost 150% since January of this year. That's incredible. Uh, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a big building block and a big 
learning curve. Um, I know <laughs> I've been in the military or a police officer my whole life, so I'm learning um, a lot about how to run the company and, and what's good for the company. And I've got a really fabulous board of directors that kind of help, you know, um, obviously guide our decision making as we go. So some lessons get learned and, and, uh, and, uh, and all of them have been good so far. You know, everybody has a little bumps in the road, but everything's going fabulous. Uh, we just finished. Well, since before I saw you in Vegas, we had a, uh, we brought a, uh, just in, since January, we brought a Vietnam veteran in from, St. Louis, who has Parkinson's disease and uh, um, diabetic, and he was a Purple Heart veteran, and he reached out to us, and we got him down here, and we spent three days with him. We finally got him on his animal, and he, he made a nice harvest, and um, shortly after that, I had to go out to Vegas, you know, for that week, and then we were, we just wrapped up a five-day duck hunt in uh, Arkansas, our four-day duck hunt in Arkansas with five guys, uh, five hundred guys, and um I don't know. It just seems to keep growing and getting better and bigger, and and it's a it's a good it's a good thing. So let's talk about what what's the idea behind here, hun? The the biggest idea we don't want anybody to get left behind. Uh, we want to bring people back into the brotherhood and the camaraderie uh, that they knew when they were in in service, you know, as a police officer or, or military or first responder, and uh, get them back out in that in that you know. You know how you know how it is when you're a police officer. Everybody's joking and cutting up, and you know you, you're, you're hard on each other, and you're kind of you got to be thick skinned but you're you know you're picking back and forth all the time, and you know the laughing and the and and just the brother sisterhood of of that environment. Um, it's just to get them back into doing something good, bring them back to the good, and and bring them back into um, the family of, of who we are as police officers and and veterans and and, uh, and firefighters and. and just, just to get them back in the fold, kind of get them recharge our batteries and, and let them know that there's somebody out there. And, you know, with us, it's not just a one-time trip. We try to do, you know, we try to bring people back a couple times a year or a couple events a year. Uh, this year we've already got 34 events solid, and it looks like we may end up having 40 events by the end of the year. So, You're a, you're a full-time cop, too. Oh, yeah. yeah and you're, absolutely. How, so tell me about, okay, what, what's the last hunt that you did? Um, I got home Friday night, this past Friday night, um, uh, on a duck hunt from Arkansas. I had five guys over in Arkansas for four days. All right. So tell me how, how that actually works. You, you bring people in from all over the country, right? Yep. Yep. Um, right now we're not, we're not huge. We're not big enough that we can fly everybody in. Uh, if we have a special need, uh, or somebody who really needs it that, that can't get here, um, we'll sit down as a board and discuss trying to get them here. Most of the guys, if they're within eight hours or so and girls, They'll drive themselves in, and then we take care of the lodging, food, hunting licenses, uh, make sure they have the proper firearms, ammunition. Uh, bring them in. Usually uh, on the first day, people kind of get to know each other, get their gear stored up, uh, set up their racks, whatever. Um, like which when we came into this event on uh, this last week, the guys came in to Arkansas and put a nice fire pit going and got everybody's gear stored and just kind of get to introduce each other. And Everybody's a little standoffish on the front end, but within three or four hours, it's just like they know each other forever. And when they leave, they leave as friends on, you know, on, on that Saturday or Sunday. Sure. It's just really trying to get everybody back into what they do. I know uh, we partner with Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency here in Tennessee. Um, they help us out tremendously uh, on a lot of the di different events. Um, um, we do, um, we did, uh, a turkey hunt, a bass tournament with them, two dove hunts, and three deer hunts just last year. Um, 
So it, that, that helps. Those partnerships help as we've gotten bigger. We go to different venues. We've got different different locations we go to. We've got a ranch that we work with in Texas. I'm down close to the border. Um, uh, we've got friends in southern Illinois, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, obviously. Um, but that that's kind of what they – really, it's just kind of getting in and getting to know other people and then and making those connections and getting something to look forward to for the next event that they get invited to. And then the people that they get to meet on those hunts a lot of these guys and girls stay friends. They talk all the time. I've actually got a group text thread running on my phone from a deer hunt back in December. There's like, I don't know, 13 people in it. And my phone goes off at the weirdest times because I have it. I can't bring myself to leave the group because these guys are all <laughs> text back and forth and all that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really know um, myself and then the other board members. Uh, if I don't know them, the board members know them because I don't get to make every event because there's so many. I only have so many vacation days. But, um, you know, everybody knows somebody in the organization. Uh, we're not, like I said, we've got six board members, uh, myself and Jeff Bianchi, uh, um, and, uh, Jimmy German, uh, our hands on a lot, um, with a lot of the events. We actually do some of the events at one of our board members, uh, farm over in Memphis, or over close to Memphis. It's over 600 acres over there. And that place is like a resort, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a family atmosphere. It's a family event. Um, not necessarily the kids and the, wives or husbands but the family of the brotherhood of what we do um that that was actually going to be my next question so this is open to the to the veterans or the first responders uh this yeah. is not bringing their wives and kids along well funny you should say that so the bass tournament we do with tennessee wildlife resources is is family friendly uh that one the wives or husbands and kids are invited um then we have uh, a juvenile Deer, we did a, a youth deer hunt this year where we let the guys uh, who come in, they, they, the dads or moms weren't allowed to hunt. On this one, it was dads. They weren't allowed to hunt, but they got to spend that time in the bottom with their kids and, uh, and had all of our support services there to help them, you know, track and, and process and harvest and all that. So um, that, was a, that was a family event for the dad or mom and the son. And then we did uh, three uh, water uh, canoe trips, like kayak canoe trips, you know, calm water, nothing crazy. Uh, but we did three separate days on the river uh, with the families and the kids, which gives the, the wives or, and or husbands time to get to know other people. We've had people that have just moved to Nashville, heard about us and come out, don't really know anybody. And they get to know people from the organization and go do other things. So um, we are, and we're actually looking at adding possibly a juvenile uh, turkey hunt this year as well, but we're trying to get that worked out. So this is, this is a, uh, I mean, this is, sounds like a full-time job to me. I don't know how you how you fit in how you actually fit in the the policing in the in the in the mix there. Well, I get twenty vacation days a year and ten holidays, and I did start through ten of them this last two weeks in January. But uh, a lot of stuff's on the weekends, and uh, I'm, I work day shifts, so it's not terrible. I can leave work, you know, after. Well, a lot of times I leave the station right when I get off work and get on the road to go somewhere uh, to an event. So, uh, how many how many people do you have working with you on? Uh, in the organization we've got six board members but then this year we've grown so fast we've taken um about 12 right now i think we're going to add three more but in january we started an ambassador program so some of the uh some of the guys and girls who've been injured in line of duty for their various service whether it's police fire military whatever um that that have really have a, a, a heart for what we're doing and understand what we're trying to accomplish that have strong points like in hunting or fishing uh, we started some ambassador program with them, and they actually uh, 
are plugging in and they're helping us run events. If I can't be there, one of the board members, uh, they've, they've expressed the interest to jump all in and they've been to events. So they know how they need to run and they know, you know, the paperwork that needs to be done on the front end. And they know, they know how these events and the venues need to be handled and they're stepping in and helping us keep it running. That's fantastic. Now, so, I, you give, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the, the, you know, from a business point of view, um, you've got, you know, people that have been injured in the line of duty, you know, sometimes, you know, severely injured. Uh, how do they navigate, you know, being outside and being with weapons? Um, is there ever any trauma that goes on from that? No, um, we haven't experienced any of that. We, we actually talked to the guys and girls uh, at length, um, myself or, or, or Jeff, and kind of get an idea of where they're at as far as what kind of event to put them on. If they, we haven't had, we had one uh, initially when we first started that wanted to come to a turkey hunt with a crossbow because he didn't want to hear the gun go off. And, and I understand that. We respect that. And um, we tried that morning with the uh, crossbow. It wasn't as successful as we wanted. And uh, we talked about it at lunch. And one of the guys on the early hunt, uh, one of the other heroes had harvested a, an animal. And uh, it ended up being myself, uh, the guy, the gentleman I guided, and then the individual who didn't want to fire the gun and his guy. So he had three people of support hiding in the edge of the woods. And we called a turkey and for him, and, and he got it done. But there's other stuff, uh, you know, like the, the, the canoe trip. That, that's something they can come do. Uh, we're looking at trying to get some crossbows lined up or some bows. Actually, crossbows are what we're trying to get lined up so we can, you know, if somebody doesn't want to hear that report from the weapon, then yeah. there's another option. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that could be, that could be an issue. It, it's not been. It, it's really, honestly, it's not been a huge issue. Um, we'll we'll run suppress sometimes depending on the hunt and and the need uh, of the individual. But it's uh, it's not really been an issue uh, to speak of. Just a couple of times when we've made arrangements to get them in other uh, other uh, events. Sure, sure. So, um, how does how does someone um, apply to, to go on a hunt. So right now, actually, um, we have a, an email it's at, it's apply at hero org, And, um, they can also go to our webpage and there's information on the webpage, uh, also, uh, hero org. Uh, they can apply there or they can just send an email to apply at hero org. And if they have any trouble getting through, there's getting through to us for whatever reason. Uh, all the board members have their email on their website. Uh, they can just send an email to one of them. But we prefer it's easier if we keep them all coming to one place. Uh, sure. At one point, we were getting them on Instagram and Facebook and and Twitter, and you get all these different people sending you stuff. It's hard to keep everything, so we're trying to filter everything into one central processing point, which would be applied here on Um Yeah, that makes sense. And if they, like I said, that there was a problem that I, I got notified today that that email had uh, the link to the email uh, wasn't working properly. So we've got a, a, a gentleman helped us with the IT side of it. We ought to have that back up and running here just shortly. So are there any really memorable events that took place that uh, were, were uh, um, you know, memories that, that really come back to you in a, in a graphic way that shows the value of this, of, of what you bring to the table here? Absolutely. Um, actually, on our website, we just did this, uh, like I said, the juvenile uh, whitetail hunt. And some of these kids, uh, even their parents, had it, had never harvested an animal. And uh, and these are all free range. This isn't high fence. It's nothing like that. It's legit free range whitetail deer hunt. 
and just the look and the and the feeling of success on these on the dad's faces when they're when they're with their kid and they and they get to harvest their first animal and you can look at the video it's about four minutes long you can see the success uh in their faces the kids and the and the dads um you know we had one guy who was he was in a lot of stuff over in afghanistan iraq he, he was beat up pretty good and uh one of our ambassadors was actually his boss overseas and they were in a blind and he's like he's, he was telling me he's like look there's a deer right there he looked over he's like get your rifle he looked at his his buddy now these guys have been in some heavy combat he looks at his buddy he's just He's shaking. Go look, 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 look right there. Look right there. <laughs> you know, he kind of lost it for a minute. You know, in a good way. Uh, just got super excited, and it, it got it. You know, it, it brings those bombs back. It's huge. <laughs> I can imagine. So, you know, I what I think is is uh, so important about what you do is is redeveloping the connections. Uh, you know, a, a shared. Um, kind of experience that, that these men and women remember from, you know, when they were active duty and, and it brings back that, that, that sense that's, that seems to be the, the most important uh, aspect of what you do. It, it really is. It's like I said, it's just bringing people back to center. Uh, you know, my normal every day for 27 years is get up Put on body armor. Put on the back of you know your 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 secondary weapon. Put on your your gun belt. You go out to the car. You check your rifle. You check your cotton. You check in service. You drive to work. You go answer no hot calls or whatever whatever your job is. You know, and you come home and you know you know as well as I do. You might drive around, you know, three or four weeks, eight and a half hours a day, and just do the routine. Then you have that one holy crap moment, and you know the adrenaline goes to the roof, and then the four hours of paperwork starts. So, you know, and that. You know, that's different when you're in the military, you're a police officer, you're a firefighter, and your buddies say, I got your back. No matter what happens, I'm going to be there, and they're there. You know, let me, let me ask you this. <clears throat> when when you're, you're talking to these men and women, what is, what's the sense of, of betrayal that, that you get from being fe the feeling of abandonment, which I, I hear all the time talking to injured and disabled officers? Do you get, this, do you get that, that as well? You know, they feel they've been abandoned by their departments. I, I haven't seen that as much. I've seen some of that on the military side where, you know, guys have been hurt and they're trying to get, they're trying to get to their pension point or, uh, and not all of them. And it's just, it's a small number. Um, fortunately enough, some of the gentlemen have come through on our department. We, our department treats them really well. Um, we've got a really good, um, we got really good support for that. Now, you know, I have heard from other agencies, hey, you know, I got banged up and they didn't stand behind me. Or they said it wasn't a job-related injury and it was, you know, X, Y, Z. I've heard it from some of the other agencies, uh, smaller agencies, but not often. But um, I think the, the part that I see the most, that it's not really the betrayal, it's the letdown of from being in those high-pressure situations, nine, eight. When you're, when you're talking to people who have had – you know, basically been forced out of the, the jobs that they had. And, and they, you know, they've, they've been um, sometimes economically challenged because of it, as well as emotionally challenged. Do you find that the, the hunts bring back um, a, a certain sense to them, a certain sense of belonging? It absolutely does. And, and that's, that's part of the camaraderie, the connection. You know, they, they, 
you know, they get back into the into the fold of, of what their normal was with the, with the type of people um, that they worked with in the past. And it, it brings a, a sense of meaning back to them. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've done some other things uh, that we don't normally do. We, we'll, we, we work with another group, uh, some private folks that every year they say, hey, uh, can you identify two families that are having um, a really hard time? And we will. And they ask for a complete Christmas list for the husband, wife, the kids, sizes, clothes, toys. And every year for the last four years, you know, they deliver this amazing Christmas to the families. Um, one of uh, one of our ambassadors a couple of years ago or last year uh, hunted with a, a gentleman who was having some financial issues and they put together a complete Thanksgiving dinner. Like it was phenomenal and delivered it to their door and said, Hey, you know, just, we just want to know you would care about you. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, those are, those are big things. I mean, and uh, I know, when when that happens, you know it, it. It's not like I said. We don't try to do one thing and just and go away, or or not or not have that connection again. And it really brings people back to. Um, and not you know, granted, not everybody's having a bad day just sitting in a dark room, you know, not loving life. But it brings that the memories and the camaraderie that they had for so long back together. And oh, it, do, it does do, give them a sense of purpose. Do you have frequent flyers? I mean, do you have guys that that come back, you know, year after year? Uh, we do, and it's because we've invited them back because they they either uh, we felt like they needed it or um, they bring something special to the program or their story brings or their their experience brings something to the program. And like I said, we try to what we're our goal is to try to have a couple of events uh, or at least offer a couple of events a year to the folks coming through the program. Now, at some point, you know, uh, as we grow, hopefully the organization will grow as you know big enough that we can do that. Uh, but we do have some that we that we do bring back on on multiple events. How can people uh, how can uh, how can people help you? I mean, what you're a five hundred one c three, you're a nonprofit. So yes, how do people give and and donate to you? Um, they can do it through our website. Uh, this is the easiest way. There's a donut bu- a donate button on our website. And it goes through PayPal. Uh, if they want to if they want to talk to one of us directly, uh, they can do that. Uh, but just send us an email and we'll set up a phone call. Uh, one of the things we're looking at is um, if somebody has uh, a parcel of land or if they have an outfitter, uh, they're willing to donate a hunt for uh, another venue that we can bring people to or a venue that we can bring people to. It doesn't even have to be a hunting venue. Um, if it's a venue that fits within, you know, what our program is designed to do, hunting, fishing or something, you know, outdoors, um, that's always helpful. And if there are any equipment sponsors that want to talk to us about sponsoring any equipment or clothing, or whatever for the guys, that's, that always goes a long way as well. Sure. Sure. So, um, and, and the, uh, the website again is it's hero hunt, Inc.org, uh, hero Inc.org, And we're also on Instagram under hero hunt, Inc. And Facebook as well under hero hunt, hero hunt, Inc. Uh, on Facebook. And, you know, please like, you know, like, the social media page share it. Um, the biggest thing for us right now is from being in law enforcement, it's a little easier to get um, in touch with the military members because, you know, it's obviously the military is probably bigger than most police departments, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, and officers, we tend to be rather reclusive and, you know, very guarded for obvious reasons. You know, like I said, I've been doing it for 27 years, but if you know a police officer that would benefit from what we do or, 
Uh, if you are a police officer that would benefit from what we do, please reach out to us. Uh, you know, we don't share, um, we don't share the information we have. We don't sell the rosters or any information to anybody. It's strictly so we can plan events and we know who's on the rosters and who's a good fit for different events. And that stays within the organization. Um, you know, please, please get the information out to the firefighters and, and then the first responders. So you're, you're open to all first responders and veterans. Yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Wow. That if, if they've been injured in the line of duty, uh, and we vet everybody that comes through the, the military members that come through, uh, we require a copy of the DD two fourteen. They can uh, deduct all the information, redact the information, and we don't. I don't need social security numbers for any reason. Um, and uh, their VA rating letter. I don't need to know what the injury is. I just need to know that there is a um, service connected disability. And if they want to tell us, that's fine. But we're not asking for that. And then the uh, the first responders with the media and everything now, and all the stuff on social media. It's fairly easy to vet uh, those injuries or those instances. And if there's nothing on social media, if they, to, to be a part of what we do, they have to verify. Uh, they can give me a copy of the offense report or, you know, I don't, I don't want medical records. But, you know, it's pretty easy to document if you've been injured in a line of duty. And, and we require those, that documentation to make sure, you know, that we're getting the right people. Is there a degree of injury that you're, that you're or is each case no. uh, pretty no. much by its own? Yeah, it's no, there's no degree of injury, you know. There, and I and I think my numbers are right. Um, two or three percent of the of the population serve in the military, and less than that of, as a first responder. Uh, if you've been injured in the line of duty, and it's you know it's caused you um, to either leave your agency, or even if you don't have to leave your agency, if you've been injured, I mean you've stepped up to the plate. You've done more than most people would do for their community. So no, all we have to do is all we have to do is um, is verify the injury. In a lot of duty. Understood. Understood. Well, okay. So once again, uh, for my listeners, uh, this is Joe Towers. He is the founder, uh, and uh, he's the head honcho over at HeroHuntInc.org. I urge you to take a look at their website. If you're uh, law enforcement, you've been injured in the line of duty, or first responder in the line of duty, veteran. Um, they they're doing some amazing stuff. Hit them up, check them out. And Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to be. A guest here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Thank you for your time, everybody. Thanks for having us. I'm going to ask a personal favor of you, and that is I would like you to go to a website. The website is for the Wounded Blue. It's thewoundedblue.org. And this website has all the information on our organization, the Wounded Blue, which is the National Assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Now, I ask you to go to this website and take a look at it for several reasons. One is because I want you to become a member, whether you are a civilian or have a law enforcement background or currently serving the law enforcement. There are some great benefits for becoming a member of the Wounded Blue, but the most important is that you will be providing the ability for this organization to provide peer support and and also guidance to injured and disabled law enforcement officers, whether that injury is physical or emotional or psychological. It's really important that you take a look at this. Uh, also, if you haven't seen our documentary film, The Wounded Blue, Service Sacrifice Betrayed, well, you want to take a look at that too. That's on Amazon.com, The Wounded Blue, 
service, sacrifice, betrayed. I ask you personally to take a look at this website. I ask you to join it, to become a member of it. And if you have the ability to financially support this organization, please do. Now, if you are a current or former law enforcement officer, and you're facing some of the challenges that so many are, either you've been physically injured or you're uh, suffering from the effects of, of a, of a uh, post-traumatic stress incident, listen, we have a trained team of men and women from law enforcement, all who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed over. We provide that peer support free of charge. We are there because we believe that it is up to us to stick together, to work together, to heal together. Thewoundedblue.org. Take a look at it. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This week I have three names to read. The first is police officer Kenneth Reed Lester of the Richmond Police Department in Indiana. Police officer Kenneth Lester succumbed to injuries sustained in an automobile crash on February 17, 1995 while responding to an alarm call. He was responding to the call with his red lights activated but no siren. As he approached the intersection of South 8th and South 8th Street, a tractor trailer that was driving in the left-hand lane moved to the right lane. As Officer Lester overtook the tractor trailer, it suddenly attempted to make a left turn in front of him. His patrol car became stuck underneath the trailer, causing him to suffer debilitating head and internal injuries. Officer Lester required around-the-clock care for the next 25 years. He passed away from complications of the original injuries on February 10, 2020. Officer Lester had served with the Richmond Police for 16 years at the time of his crash. Police Officer Kenneth Reed Lester, Richmond Police Department in Indiana. End of Watch, Monday, February 10, 2020. The second is Lieutenant Shirley Lanning of the Canadian County Sheriff's Office in Oklahoma. Lieutenant Shirley Lanning was killed in an automobile crash on the Northwest Expressway just west of the John Kilpatrick Turnpike. Her patrol car crossed the center lane and collided head-on with an oncoming vehicle. The occupants of the other vehicle suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Lieutenant Lanning had served in law enforcement for 30 years. She had previously served with the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office and the University of Central Oklahoma Police Department. She is survived by her husband, stepson, parents, and siblings. Lieutenant Shirley Lang, Canadian County Sheriff's Office, Oklahoma. End of Watch, Friday, February 14, 2020. The third is Officer David Kellywood, White Mountain Apache Tribal Police Department. Officer David Kellywood was shot and killed after responding to reports of shots being fired near the Honda Casino in Pine Top, Arizona, shortly before 1 a.m. Officer Kellywood was the first officer to arrive on the scene and encountered the subject who immediately attacked him. During the ensuing struggle, the man fatally shot Officer Kellywood. Another officer who arrived on the scene shot and killed the suspect. Officer Kellywood has served with the White Mountain Apache Tribal Police Department for nine months. He had previously served with the Navajo County Sheriff's Office. He survived by his wife and two children. Officer David Kellywood, White Mountain Apache Tribal Police Department, end of watch, Monday, February 17th, 2020. 
May they rest in peace. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, where we bring you everything about law enforcement from a law enforcement perspective. A couple things. If you are on Facebook, please come to my page. That is the voice of American law enforcement and like it and follow it. Also, um, since you're going to be on Facebook anyway, go to the Wounded Blue and uh, like that and follow that as well. If you're a Twitterer, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. And um, I think that about covers my social media presence. I do want to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people that have uh, ideas about stories, about things you want me to cover. I try to be as responsive as I can. And uh, anyway, I I really do appreciate you tuning in to Blue Lives Radio. And, you know, uh, we've been on the air a little over three years now. And I hear from a lot of my folks that listen to the show that it's, that it's meaningful to you. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.